want you to take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 2. We're in a series entitled Thinking Straight in a Crooked World. This morning we're going to look at Genesis chapter 2 verses 4 through 17. Oliver Wendell Holmes made this important statement. I quote, he said, when I want to understand what is happening today or try to decide what will happen tomorrow, I look back. A page of history is worth a volume of logic. Biblical history reveals where we've come from. It reveals what's going on today and how we can best live our lives today. And the good thing about it, biblical history reveals the future hope that we have as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 15, verse 4, Paul wrote these words. He said, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Man, what a, an amazing verse that is in the New Testament. It points all the way back to the validity of us taking our time and working our way through Genesis chapters 1 through 11 in this series. When the Pharisees asked the Lord Jesus about divorce, he replied by quoting from Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. In fact, the Bible says that he answered them and said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. That's a quote from Genesis chapter 1. And then he said in verse 5, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And that's a quote from Genesis chapter 2. You see, Jesus saw these two chapters, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, as having ongoing significance for the family and for the culture in which we live. He saw these two chapters as being harmonious, not being contradictory. In Genesis 1, the Holy Spirit inspired Moses to record how God, the Hebrew name there is Elohim, created the world and filled it within six 24-hour days. That's the origin of everything. In Genesis 2, we immediately discover that the focus shifts. It shifts from the, the panoramic view of all of creation, and the focus, the spotlight, is on Adam and Eve, the apex of God's creation. Now look around. It's obvious that most people in the world today are suffering from an identity crisis. They bought into the bankrupt ideology of secularism and evolution. Ignoring biblical history has robbed them of significance and of any hope they might have for the future. Listen, we must think straight in a crooked world. To do this, we must embrace the truth of biblical history. Genesis 1 through 11 is history, but it's biblical history, and it is truth without mixture of error. 
So let's pray before we begin our look at our text today and ask the Holy Spirit to prepare our hearts to receive his word and his truth today. Our Father, we thank you that your word is truth without mixture of error. We thank you that Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 are absolutely true. And Father, I pray that you would prepare our hearts to receive your truth today and to apply it to our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, after carefully studying the text today, Genesis chapter 2, verse 4 to 17, I I developed uh, a statement that I want to drop in your heart. And the statement is real simple. You've heard it many times before, but it's certainly true in this text. Now, what's amazing, the Holy Spirit had the kids and the choir sing about this very statement earlier in the service. You know what that statement is? Here it is. It's true for you. It's it's important for you. Here's a statement. God is good. He's good. He is good. Now, why would I make such a statement like that when there are so many people in our culture who totally disagree with it? Believe me, this is not a flippant claim. It's not a flippant little statement. It is a statement pregnant with meaning and pregnant with truth. I make this statement simply because the Creator God has blessed us with three things. And I want us to look at those three things today in our text. Number one, the Creator God has blessed us with a truth we must treasure. A truth we must treasure. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 to 6. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and heaven. Now no shrub of the field was yet in the earth and no plant of the field had yet sprouted for the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth and there was no man to cultivate the ground. But a mist used to rise from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground. Now, the phrase you notice in verse 4 is an important little phrase. You notice it. This is the account of. Now, this phrase appears multiple times in the book of Genesis. It's found in Genesis 5.1, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, and several other places here in the book of Genesis. And it's an important clue to the divisions and the breakdown of the meaning of the book of Genesis. Now, there's a new name for God that's used here in chapter 2 that was not used in chapter 1. Over and over, every reference in chapter 1 was a reference to Elohim, meaning the powerful creator God. Nothing is impossible with our God, right? But when you come to chapter 2... Right here in verse 4, you see it. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God. Notice the word Lord is capitalized, all all caps, and then the word God comes after it. You know what that literally says? It says Yahweh Elohim, Yahweh Elohim. 
Now you say, what's the importance of Yahweh? That capitalized Lord, all caps. Well, here's the importance of it. It refers to the self-existent God. Our God is eternal in nature. Nobody created God. God has always existed. God will always exist. And God needs no one to help him to exist and to continue existing. That's the importance of that first word, Yahweh. And then the word God here again is Elohim. So it's Yahweh Elohim. Now that's so important. You see, Yahweh is a personal covenant name for God. Later on in history, Moses, who wrote the book of Genesis, will be by a burning bush. And God will tell Moses, hey, I want you to go to uh, Egypt and I want you to deliver my covenant people, the, the people of Israel, from bondage. And Moses says, well, well who shall I say has sent me? And he, he, God says to him, you tell him that I am has sent you. And that I am is the name for Yahweh. It is the self-existent, eternal God. Now, in Genesis 1.27, the Bible says God created man. The word God there is Elohim. God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we're talking about a truth we must treasure. So we found out in chapter 1, verse 27, that you are not here as a result of some kind of evolutionary process or, or some kind of random chance. God created you. God created you in your mother's womb. You need to understand that. I tell you, it'll make a difference upon how you look at yourself and how you view the reason that God allows you to live your life on this planet. You have a God consciousness that no animal shares with you. Only human beings have this God consciousness. Only human beings can have a personal relationship with a covenant-keeping God. Now, I want you to look at verse 6. The Bible says, But a mist used to rise from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground. You say, what in the world is that referring to? Well, this was mentioned in chapter 1 on day 2 of creation, and it, it refers to a water vapor canopy that in the beginning... God created over the earth. Now, what did that do? Well, number one, it, it filtered out harmful ultraviolet rays that harms human beings. Number two, it created a stable weather pattern. There were no polar ice caps. There were no deserts. Everything was lush and green. It was like this was God's water, watering system for the planet. And every day, a heavy dew would fall on the earth, and that dew would water all the shrubs, all the vegetation, all the trees, all the fruit trees. And the, wor the world was just lush and green at that time. Do you know that this is a reason that Noah and so many of those who lived in the Old Testament lived to be 900 and something years old, 800 and something years old? It's because of this water vapor canopy. Now, after the flood, 
that water vapor canopy disintegrated and that's what helped cause the flood by the way and, and the age of people living after the time that the water vapor canopy uh, disintegrated was significantly less and less and less as time went on now in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 the Bible says then the Lord God formed man of dust of the ground from the ground and breathed into his nostrils a breath of life and man became a living being so in chapter 1 God's word simply says that God created man but there's no explanation about how God created man but the explanation comes in chapter 2 it's like chapter 1 is a wide angle lens look at creation in chapter 2 it's a very narrow focus look at creation and the emphasis in chapter 2 is on Adam and Eve now look look at the word formed the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground this describes the work of an artist it describes the work of a a potter shaping a beautiful a beautiful piece of pottery the emphasis is on the fact that God uh, gave personal care and deliberate attention to the details when he created Adam and Eve in the very beginning now think about this for just a moment physically we are the result of two sets of 23 chromosomes which unite at conception a single human chromosome contains 20 billion bits of information which corresponds to about 500 million words or 2 million pages at 500 pages per book this means that a single human chromosome is equal to about 4,000 volumes of information we each have 46 chromosomes or 184,000 volumes of 500 pages each now folks if you believe that you evolved in all of this intricacy and detail developed by random chance over over billions of years and that you evolved from a a a a, 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 a some kind of organism that came out of a primordial pond sometime back there millions and billions of years ago and you became a, 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 a finally became a monkey and then you became a human being I, more power to you more power to you I, I'm telling you your body is so complex and so beautifully designed how in the world could anybody see it and look at it and not believe that there is a divine powerful designer who designed the human body do you believe that you're here today as a result of that kind of chance I hope and pray you don't I hope and pray that you believe the truth of God's Word that you believe this biblical history that we're looking at today listen you got to understand that according to Genesis chapter 1 when you were created in your mother's womb God stamped his image on you 
You are created in the image of God. That means you can relate to God. You can have a relationship with God. Isn't that good news? Listen, the evolutionists have, have no hope for the future. That's why there's no value of life amongst so many of them. But as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, as people who believe in creation, we believe that life is significant wherever that life may be found. And we honor that. The Bible says the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. Matthew Henry notes that man was not made of gold dust, powder of pearl, or diamond dust, but common dust. Dust of the ground. Evidently, the Holy Spirit wanted Moses to demonstrate to the human race that we should have humility, that we realize that we are totally 100% dependent upon the Creator God for our existence and for our life going forward. Because God breathed into us the breath of life. That's the truth that you must treasure. You're alive today. You're alive today in this room because God gave you life. God gave you the breath that you had through the night. God allowed you to wake up this morning. God allowed you to come to church today. We are 100% dependent upon the Creator God for every aspect of our lives. A little boy came to his mother and said, Mom, is it true that we are made from the dust and when we die, we go back to dust? She said, well, yes, son, that, that's true. And the little boy said, well, I looked under my bed this morning and there's someone either coming or going. Hey, listen, Adam was not only alive, but he knew that God was a source of his life. That's the truth we must treasure. For the rest of our lives, we must treasure that truth. God is good. I make that statement simply because this amazing creator God has blessed us with a truth to treasure, and number two, number two, he has blessed us with an advantage we must appreciate. Look at verses 8 and 9 of Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Now, remember that word formed. It's a special word. It speaks of the careful attention that God gave to the creation of Adam and Eve. You don't find that in chapter 1 when you've, you read about the, the creation of animals or anything like that. It's right here in chapter 2. It's like the Holy Spirit of God wants every person within the sound of my voice to know that God considers you to be the apex of creation. He considers you to be special. He loves you and he has a plan for your life. You need to remember that. So the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to sight and good for food. The tree of life 
also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So many people today ask the question, well, where is the Garden of Eden? I can't tell you. I have no clue where it is. Because, you know why? Be, because after the flood, the, the Garden of Eden was wiped out. The Garden of Eden is no more. Okay? Now, there's still a tree of life. You know where the tree of life is today? It's in heaven. It's in heaven. If you're a born-again believer, you're going to come face-to-face with the tree of life at some point in the future in the new heaven and the new earth. Now, listen. The word Eden means delight. That's the meaning of the word, delight. So God formed Adam and Eve gave them special care and attention, and he placed them in the garden of delight, the garden of Eden. And he gave even a location toward the east. Now, you got to remember that Moses wrote this book of Genesis. Moses wrote the first 11 chapters here in the whole book of Genesis. And and this is a, a location indication for the children of Israel. It's like Moses saying, they're probably in, in, in route from Egypt all the way to the promised land. They, they're they're going to wander around for 40 years. And it's like God is saying to them, listen, you want to know where the Garden of Eden was? It, it was right over there to the east in the fertile crescent area of, of Mesopotamia. Now listen. Three things about the Garden of Eden. First, it was a beautiful place. It was beautiful. Notice the Bible says that trees were pleasing to the sight. Outside Eden, there was an abundant and exceedingly beautiful world. Yet here in the, in the Garden of Eden, there was a, a, an, an even more beautiful place that God allowed Adam and Eve to live in. Second, it was a fruitful place. The Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to sight, and look at this, good for food. The covenant-keeping creator God made sure that Adam and Eve had an abundant source of food so they could nourish themselves and take care of themselves physically. And, And third, it was a helpful place. Jump ahead to verse 15. Look at Genesis 2, 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to what? Cultivate it and keep it. Now, there's a lot of people in the world today who think that work is a curse. Work is not a curse. I want you to know God gave Adam and Eve a work to do before they ever sinned. This is, this is part of God's uh, doing something good for us. He knows that we need a purpose. We need a purpose in life. And that purpose should come from the living and true God. And, and so the Bible says that he put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. Now, this is when they were still perfect and sinless. And God gave them a purpose. Look at Colossians 3, 23 and 24. 
where Paul wrote, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. I hope and pray that everybody in this room, everybody watching live stream, I hope you appreciate the fact that the Creator God gave you a work to do. He expects everybody to work. He, don't, he does not expect people to get handouts if they're physically able to work. He expects them to work. Why, you say? Because it's good for them. They need a purpose. They need a reason to get out of bed in the morning and put their feet on the ground and go do something that will make a difference in people's lives, that will honor and glorify the Lord Jesus. You say, well, pastor, you don't understand. I'm a plumber. You know what? As a plumber, you ought to honor and glorify Jesus in your plumbing. You say, pastor, I'm a lawyer. Well, if you're a lawyer, you ought to honor and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ as you serve as a lawyer. If you're a teacher, you ought to honor and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ as you serve as a teacher. Do you have a proper biblical view of work? You, you see, this is an advantage that God inserted into creation, and it's to our advantage. We should appreciate, we should thank God that we have a job. We should thank God that he's given us ability to do something that will make a difference in our lives, in our families, and in those around us. Now, in Genesis chapter 2, verses 10 to 14, the Bible says, Now a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It flows around the whole land of Havilah, where there's gold. The gold of that land is good. The bdellium and the onk stone are there. The name of the second river is Gion, and it flows around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris, and it flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Now, the narrative breaks out of Eden here and opens up to a panoramic view of the world outside the Garden of Eden. Do you understand what this is teaching us? It's saying that the Creator God cared so much about Adam and Eve and so much about the human race that He created all of this beauty, all of this lushness, all of these provisions for the people that He termed as the apex of His creation the supreme part of his creation. God did that for them. Listen, one day, one day, all of this that you read about in the paradise here is going to be restored. One day, God's going to create new heavens and a new earth. And if you're a born-again believer, you'll get to be a part of that new heavens and new earth, and it'll be perfection personified. And we'll be with Jesus forever, and there'll be no more sin, there'll be no more death, there'll be no more sorrow, there'll be no more hurt feelings. Can you imagine living in that paradise restored that God's going to provide for us one day? My goodness, God is so good. Now make this statement. For two reasons so far. Number one, because of the truth we must treasure. What's that truth? That truth is we're, we, we've been created by God. He has given us life. 
And he has bestowed on us his own image. What a truth. That's a truth we should treasure. And secondly, we make this statement that God is good because of an advantage we must appreciate. God is so good that he provides everything we need in life. Even in our fallen world today, he provides for us in ways that we could never expect him to provide. But here's the final reason I make this statement that God is good. It's a lesson we must learn. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. Now, stop right there just a second. Notice that God commands Adam and Eve here. He commands Adam, but we know it's a command that was also for Eve. So the command is real here. God's not asking Adam's advice. Can I tell you, God never asked your advice either. You, you say, well, pastor, that's not what I want to do. The Word of God says it, but that's not what I want to do. Well, listen, my friend, I would encourage you to always go with the Word of God. Every, every time that we choose our way over God's way, it never works out good for us. Ever. And we'll see when we get over into chapter 3, it didn't work out good for Adam and Eve either when they chose their way over God's way. So I want you to see, then the Lord God took the man, put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely. Look, Adam, all these trees, all these fruit trees, you got everything you'll ever want. You've got you got uh, trees with nuts on them. You got trees with fruit on them. You got, you can eat everything. But look at verse 17. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. See, there were two special trees in that garden. The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God's command to Adam and to his soon-to-be wife was simply this. They could never, I repeat, never eat one piece of fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because when they would do that, they would surely die. Now, I'm not going to jump ahead of myself too much because I'm going to be coming to that over in chapter 3. But just suffice to say this, Adam and Eve made a huge mistake. They listened to the voice of Satan and they neglected the voice of God. And it cost them dearly. It cost them spiritually and it cost them physically. James Montgomery Boyce stated this, he said, the presence of this tree would have reminded Adam that he was not his own God and that he was responsible at all times to his creator. Listen, whether you're a teenager, whether you're a child, whether you're a young adult, a middle-aged adult, or a senior adult, you are not your own God. You do not get to call the shots. 
You were created by God. You are answerable to God. He gets to tell you what to do. And the smartest thing you'll ever do in your life is to make sure that you align your life with the will, the word, and the way of God. I encourage you, listen to what the word of God is. To, it's a lesson we must learn. It's a lesson of obedience. Do you know what God values most in your life? It's not what you say. You, you can walk around and say, I love God. I love God and, and still live like the devil. You know that? You've seen people who do that. They act and pretend to be very religious, but they live totally contrary to the wor word of God. Now, listen to me very carefully. The one lesson that we need to learn is this. It always pays to obey God. Always, 100% of the time, the thing that he values most out of your life is not just what you say. It's not just what you pretend to be. God values the fact that you love him, but you demonstrate your love for him by obeying him. Obedience is so important. The text we've looked at today is, is biblical history. It is truth without mixture of error. I encourage you, don't ever wander away from it. Don't ever buy into the lies of secularism and evolution. Do not buy into those things. Believe it with all your heart. Believe the Word of God. You need to know this. God is good. And I made that statement today for three reasons. Let me rehearse it with you. I always found that it, if, if we're ever going to get something to drop down from our, 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 our minds to our heart, about 18 inches, we have to do a lot of repetition. And what I want you to know is not only that God loves you, but I want you to know why he loves you. Not only that God is good, but why is he good? There's a truth in here you must treasure. Your life is there because God created you and he breathed into Adam the breath of life. And you're alive because of God, the creator. And there's an advantage you must appreciate. You ought to appreciate the fact that God has blessed you with so many of his blessings. And your heart ought to absolutely be overflowing with gratitude to God. And there's that lesson you must learn. And that lesson is simply this, obey God. You know, one of the things that God commands us in Scripture is to believe in His Son, Jesus, to believe the gospel. 2,000 years ago, God's Son was incarnated into the human race. He lived a perfect life, and He offered Himself on the cross of Calvary as a sacrifice for our sins so that we could be forgiven so that we could have a relationship with God that God intended for Adam and Eve and all the human race to have prior to their falling into sin. And God's made a way for that image of, of God to be restored in your life, renewed in your life. God's made a way for you to have a relationship with him, but it's only through his son Jesus. And if you're in this room today or you're watching live stream, 
and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, then I tell you, you don't have a relationship with God. You do not have a relationship with God. You say, wait, Pastor, I believe in God. Well, here's what Jesus said. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. You can't say you believe in God and you reject Jesus. So I'm going to invite you today to come to faith in Christ. I'm going to ask our worship team and our staff to come. And, and we want you to respond to what God's saying to you this morning. I, I tell you, the, 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 the one lesson we need to learn is a lesson of obedience. And I hope and pray you obey God by believing in his son, the Lord Jesus. He loves you. He died for you. He was resurrected so that you could have eternal life. So come to Christ today. Listen, if you want to talk to one of our staff members about your relationship with Jesus, we're here to minister to you. If you need prayer, our staff is here to pray over you and to help you. But I want to invite you also, if you're already a believer, maybe you need to come to the altar today. Bow down here at this altar and pray to God and just say to God how thankful you are for all the blessings that he's made available to you. That's that, that appreciation we must have for all that he's provided for us. Or, or maybe here today and you, you just want to come to the altar and thank God that he has allowed you to live. And he's given you his image and he breathed into you the breath of life. Just come and thank him and praise him and worship him. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would do a work in our heart today. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that we would respond to your word in a way that pleases you and honors you. You are our creator God. You are a good God. And we worship you and bless you in Jesus' name.